Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning and confess that we do not deserve to hear your voice. But Lord, in your mercy, grant us ears to listen to what you have to say for us through Jesus Christ. As he speaks about himself here, Lord, we pray that we'd be more endeared to him. And we pray for anyone who may be present, oh Lord, who has not come to you. We pray that you would draw them to the bread of life this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through John chapter 6 together, and I encourage you to have the Church Bible open before you, if you didn't bring your own, to page 1056, as we'll be looking at this passage together. John chapter 6, and we've seen that Jesus has fed the 5,000. He did that at the beginning of the, of the chapter. And then he's had this large crowd following him around as a result. Uh, they are following him because they're interested in the food, the free food that he seems to be able to produce. And then they've been having a discussion with him about what he's going to do for them next, whether he's going to provide more food for them. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that he is the bread of life, that he actually provides a much superior food to the food that he gave them initially. And that is, of course, the bread and the, the fish that they, they fed upon uh, when he fed the 5,000. And so then he's been talking to them, and they've been dialoguing back with him somewhat. They've been talking about what he's been saying. They've been asking him questions. And we've been looking at the way that they speak to him and then his responses to these people and seeing how there's similar, there's similar questions that we ask of Jesus today. The reaction that we have today is often very much like these Jews in the way they grumble against Jesus. And so the part that we've come to is John chapter 6 verse 52. We're up to verse 52 of John chapter 6 and we see here that Jesus has spoken again about being the bread of life and the Jews begin to really argue amongst themselves. We read in John chapter 6 verse 52 it says, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus has been speaking about how he is the bread of life. They need to eat of him if they are to live forever. And these people, they just don't get it. They don't understand his message. And so they argue amongst themselves. It may be that some are starting to grasp what Jesus is saying, but there's quite a few who just don't understand what Jesus is on about. They can't see past a literal interpretation of Jesus' words. That's what they mean when they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're saying, does this guy really want us to eat him? Like, eat, eat him? They can't see past a literal interpretation of his words. And many people struggle with this. They can't get past the literal interpretation of Jesus' words. And even uh, some people uh, today propose a different way of understanding it, but still are going for a literal interpretation of the words. And that is, of course, the well-known religion of Roman Catholicism. When they look at these words of Jesus being the bread of life, they say that this is a reference to the Lord's Supper, to what they call the Eucharist, uh, the Mass. And so they believe that when you eat of the bread at a Catholic church and you drink of the wine... You are eating literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that is how you get eternal life, is by eating that bread and drinking that wine. And so they take a literal interpretation of this text as well. Not literally that we go and find Jesus' body somewhere and eat it, but they believe that in the Mass, in that ceremony, 
the bread and the wine are transformed so they actually are the body and blood of Jesus. They take a very literal interpretation of this. They don't understand it's a mystery as to how it becomes the body and blood of Jesus, but it literally is. Now, this can't be what the text actually says, because we understand that if you eat of the bread of life, Jesus has been very clear that if you eat of the bread of life, then you actually have everlasting life, that you live forever. And we know that some people never got to eat of the Lord's Supper, and yet they go to paradise. And the classic example, of course, is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross there, when Jesus was crucified, there's a thief there, and Jesus makes this bold declaration to that thief that today you'll be with me in paradise. But he never ate Jesus' body. He never drank Jesus' blood at the Mass. And so it can't be that taking of the Mass actually saves you. And if it did, well, that means that a lot of people who are clearly very ungodly, who are not interested in Jesus Christ, generally speaking, but have taken of that bread and drunk of that wine, are saved as well, which cannot be the case. So how does Jesus respond to these people as they struggle to understand Jesus' words. We see here they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're quite puzzled. So what does Jesus do to answer their disagreements that are going on with one another? How does Jesus respond? Well, it's interesting, if you look at verses 53 to 58, far from dumbing things down so they get it, Jesus actually presses the idea even harder than he has previously. He gets even stronger in his language of saying, you must eat my body and drink my blood. We see he devotes even more speech to the concept than he has previously. He's hinted at it. Well, he's been fairly, he hasn't hinted, he's declared it fairly strongly. But in very tight little statements that he is the bread of life and that you need to eat of him. But now, in verses 53 to 58, he speaks even more about it. More time is devoted to saying again and again that you must eat of my body. And he even makes the idea more graphic than he has previously. He actually uses a word that you may not catch uh, because uh, you aren't reading along with the Greek there. But in verse 54, verse 56, 57 and 58, he actually uses a, a different Greek word from the common word that is used to eat, which he's used previously in the text. He, he uses a word that is translated in, uh, in our text as often feeds. You, you must feed on him, but it also translates it as eat in, uh, in this passage as well. But you see it in verse uh, 57. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. So the NIV translation there has tried to draw our distinction between eat and feeding there. But that Greek word is actually a fairly strong word for eating. It could be translated as gnawing, crunching, munching. It's a really loud sort of feeding. You, you think of the word feed. It's often used to describe herbivores and the way that they eat. And if you understand herbivores, they're usually eating plant matter. And when you eat plant matter, if you eat a lettuce or a cucumber, there's a lot of crunching going on. And so the Jews have said, how can this guy give us his flesh to eat? How can we eat him? And then Jesus goes on, I don't just mean eat, I mean gnaw, I mean munch, crunch. 
He's getting quite graphic in the way that he's describing what they need to do to his body. And he doesn't stop there. He actually now says, you don't just need to eat my body, you need to drink my blood. He hasn't said that previously. But we see here that he actually says that you need to drink his blood. He says in verse uh, 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He's added this idea of drinking blood, not just eating his body, but drinking blood. Now, you may think here, oh, that's not that big a deal. It sort of goes with eating the flesh. But you've got to remember who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to Jews. And Jewish law, handed down by God, was that you were not to drink animal blood. You had to drain the blood out of the flesh before you ate of it. And so he's getting even more graphic to these Jews I mean, even for me, I don't think of drinking blood, but I do like a steak that has, you know, I I like it to be a bit medium rare. You have a bit of pink bit and a little bit of blood coming out of it. It it means it's uh, more appetizing to me. So you may not have as much of a problem, but these Jews had a big problem with the idea of drinking his blood. And he's human. This isn't an animal we're talking about. We're talking about a human offering his blood to us to drink. So Jesus here, as they're confused in verse 52, he starts to speak in verses 53 to 58 in terms that are usually reserved for horror movies or a Stephen King novel. Eating a person's body, drinking their blood, gnawing, munching, crunching on them. So what is Jesus on about here? He's not just disturbed these Jews, he's disgusted them, really. And we'll see their response to his words next week. But what is Jesus on about? He hasn't really explained it any more clearly for the people. Well, see, the thing is, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He's speaking with a spiritual meaning. He's not meant to be taken literally here, that we are to eat his actual body and blood. What Jesus is saying here, he's hinted at it earlier when he spoke about the need to believe in him. He's saying that eternal life is by faith in me, and that includes trusting in my body and blood given at the cross for you. See, our salvation is contingent upon Jesus, and particularly Jesus' incarnation, that he took on flesh, that the God himself came, lived amongst us, took on flesh, and then died a real death in our place, that his body and blood were given for us. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. He's saying, you need to trust in me to have eternal life. And if you trust in me, that's food for you. If you look to me, if you believe in me, That is actual food for you, and you will live forever as a result. Now, why don't people understand this? Why don't they understand that Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms here, that he's speaking metaphorically? Well, part of the reason is that humans prefer the physical over the spiritual any day of the week. We see this particularly with people who 
claim that there is no God at all. Atheists who say that there is no God and they live, go about their lives. And they believe in materialism. They believe that if I can't see it, if I can't test it, if I can't touch it, it doesn't exist. That the material saves. And so they would love to go for a literal interpretation of something that Jesus is saying. They can't see a spiritual dimension at all. They believe that the material is important rather than the spiritual. Something like money, that will save me. Something like other people. If I believe in government, they will save me. Actual people, they will be of benefit to me. But the thing is, theists, those who believe in a God, aren't much better. Many people who claim to believe in a God are quite happy to do physical things, but not actually to do something spiritual. Not to take Jesus' words here with the spiritual dimension that they have. I could tell you, if you want to be saved, if you want to worship God and do what he requires, that you must wash yourself with special physical water. And many people would embrace it, as many religions teach. Or eat certain foods. You eat these foods, these physical foods, and it'll be okay for you. Or travel to certain physical places. If you go on a pilgrimage to this place, then you will be saved. Physically, get up from this country, go over there, and you will be saved. Wear some special clothes, physical clothes. One cult teaches that. that You have to wear under all your other clothes this special underwear. And if you wear that, you'll be saved. And people embrace it. They love the physical idea. If I wear that robe under me, and it's not just one cult, there's quite a few out there who do this, you've got to get the right clothes, of course, from the right place, but once you put them on, you're physically wearing something that will save you. Not interested in spiritual things. Give me the clothes, let me put them on, and then I'll be saved. And then there's all kinds of things that people have done in history. That's just a few of the ones that are still current today, but people whip themselves. People will lick a floor in history, we've seen. Physically do it to be saved. They will do all kinds of things, physically. But when it comes to spiritual matters, when Jesus says, simply believe in me, say what? What are you on about? What? Spiritual? Hang on. No, no, no. Give me something physical to do. Then I will be happy. But simply trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? They don't get it. You can't understand it. They stand there and they argue like these Jews did. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Come on. We've got to work this out physically. How does it all work together? They can't see the spiritual dimension. They can't come to God simply in faith. So how do people come to an understanding of what Christ is teaching here? How do people understand that if they simply trust in Jesus Christ, they can have forgiveness of sins, they can have eternal life, that that is feeding on Jesus, that that is partaking of the bread of life if you simply trust in him? Well, it's only through the Spirit that someone can come to such an understanding, that someone can be enlightened and no longer argue about this matter but understand that it is indeed true. And that's what verse 63 of John chapter 6 says. John chapter 6, page 1057, verse 63, Jesus continues talking there and he says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. How do you come to understand 
that Jesus saves by simply trusting in him. It's because the Spirit actually opens your mind to the truth of these words. And this is a common teaching in the Bible. A classic passage on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I invite you to turn with me there now. That's page 1,129. Page 1,129 of the Black Church Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll read from verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, page 1,129. I encourage you to turn with me there now and I'll read out this passage that tells us so plainly that it's by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that we can comprehend the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. What's the message we speak? It's not one that's like the rest of the world, which is very interested in the physical. Verse 7. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the Jews had understood this, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Verse 9 continues. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. How do you understand these things? It's by God revealing it to you by his spirit. And he continues, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. That's what Jesus was doing, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words, and people just didn't get it. Why? because it wasn't revealed to them by the Spirit that that was what he was on about. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Why did these Jews not understand Jesus? Because they did not have the spirit in them. And so, of course, they couldn't understand God. Jesus was God there, incarnate, right before them, speaking words of eternal life to them. And they just cannot get past the words that he says. They cannot understand them because they do not have the spirit of Christ in them. And this is a common problem, that people look at the scriptures and they always take a literal interpretation and it gets them into trouble because they can't see the spiritual teaching that is behind those words. Yes, often the words of scripture can be taken quite literally about historical matters, definitely. But we have to understand that the scriptures are not a scientific textbook, that they speak with spiritual dimensions as well. And so the teaching of 
Christ in John chapter 6 is spiritual and discerned by the Holy Spirit. Now, the physical is important. We're not teaching here this morning that Gnosticism is true, an old heresy that denied the physical, denied the body, or Christian science, which does that as well, one of the Christian cults, or Hinduism, which often denies the physical and goes for the spiritual. No, that's not what Christianity is about. We Christianity understands the physical is important as well. But we understand that the spiritual teachings of Christ are what matters, and then the physical follows on from that that we need to understand Jesus spiritually here, that we need to start with faith in him. That's what it means to feed on him. And so you may be sitting here this morning and saying, I haven't the foggiest what this guy's on about. I've wandered in here. He's up there talking away about eating a body and drinking blood. I haven't been listening for the last 10 minutes or so. Since he started talking about that, munching and crunching on somebody, an actual person, If that is you and you're sitting here and you're completely confused, then my advice to you is to stop thinking in literal terms like a two-year-old may do. When you see children, they're very much concentrated on the physical all the time. Stop thinking in those terms. Stop calling on those that you see physically and start calling on one who cannot be seen. Start calling on the Holy Spirit himself to enlighten you to what is going on here. There are people in this room who do know what is going on here. They aren't saying, I haven't the foggiest. Why is that? Because the Spirit has revealed to them the truth. And that can happen for you too. And I encourage you, stop thinking physically, stop thinking literally, start thinking spiritually and ask the Spirit to enlighten you to what is going on here in the Bible. And if you are a Christian and you're sitting here this morning, I want to encourage you to never underemphasize the illuminating work of the Spirit. We see here clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the Spirit has an important function in opening our eyes to the truth of the scriptures, to understanding what God has said to us through Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, you would be just as bad as those Jews in John chapter 6, verse 52. You'd be saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You'd be still questioning that. It's only because of the Holy Spirit revealing the truth of these words to you by working in your heart that you have come to a right understanding of them. And so we mustn't forget that knowledge and wisdom from God are evidences of the Spirit's power in our lives. Sometimes people suggest that head knowledge underemphasizes the Spirit's work. They're always interested in marvelous experiences of the Spirit, particularly physical acts of the Holy Spirit, and they forget that wisdom and knowledge of God are just as real works of the Holy Spirit in us as well. Comprehending Christ's words is a work of the Spirit. That's what John chapter 6, verse 63 told us. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit, and they are life. I'm a big believer in the Holy Spirit. How is that shown? 
by the fact that I study the Spirit's words day by day. And while I study it, I'm begging for the Spirit to work in me to give me understanding. Now, it'd be nice if the Holy Spirit did a few physical miracles along the way in my life. But ultimately, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the Spirit's words and how that changes me and shapes me to be more like my Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's certainly not unspiritual to devote oneself to the study of the Spirit's word in the Bible and to beg for his help that you would come to an understanding of it and then thanking him for the revelation that he has given you of the truth of Jesus' words. So how do you know, though, if you truly grasp the teaching of Jesus here, if you are feeding upon him? Well, it should be that trusting in Jesus Christ is as real to you as eating and drinking. When you eat food, talking about physical food now, let's not get confused, physical food, when you eat your breakfast, when you eat your lunch, when you eat your dinner, you get energy to do the tasks that are assigned for you for that day. And you're able to keep on living and doing those things. The same thing with Jesus in one sense. When you trust in Jesus, when you believe in him, when you have faith in him, when you depend upon him, a similar energy courses through you so that you're actually able to do things that day. So you don't just lie in bed and do nothing for the rest of the day. If you trust in Jesus, you actually have a motivation to get up and do things. You have the energy to do it. You have energy to do the daily tasks to his glory, day by day, getting up, helping others in lots of different little ways, your family, looking after them, going about your business, working hard in your job, things that other people would see as unimportant. But if you didn't have a dependence upon Jesus, you may not do those at all. He gives you energy for them. And he even gives you energy to do the big tasks of life. There are people who have endured. You just read a bit of church history or even what's going on currently in the world. People enduring, doing things for God that are incredibly difficult. And most people would just give up and die in response to such tasks. Why do they do it? Because they're feeding upon Jesus by faith. They're trusting in him so they can endure whatever comes to them, whatever task is given to them, no matter how great. They can even be burnt at a stake because they feed on Jesus. They can wake up that morning, feed on him, and have energy to go boldly and die a martyr's death. And so if you trust in Jesus Christ... Trusting in him should be a way of providing energy for your day as real as eating food and drink. There's a famous preacher who's sadly no longer amongst us anymore, uh, James Boyce, and when he was preaching on this passage, he said, Is Jesus as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? Do not think me blasphemous when I say that Jesus must be as real and as useful to you as a hamburger and french fries. I say this because although Jesus is obviously far more real and useful than these, the unfortunate thing is that for many people he is much less. Some people would rather have a hamburger and french fries than feed on Jesus by faith, depend upon him. They'd much rather have a big meal 
of a hamburger and french fries for the things that they have to do that afternoon. I need that energy to do those things than to think I depend upon Jesus and so I will be able to do what is assigned to me this afternoon. And so if you don't feel a complete and utter dependence on Christ, then you're not a Christian. If you don't depend upon him day by day, if you're not feeding, gnawing, munching on Christ by faith each day, then you're not a Christian. Just as you can't miss a day without physical food, you shouldn't be able to miss a day without spiritual food, that is Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be the case that you can wake up, go about your day and not think about Christ at all if you are a Christian because you're meant to be depending upon him throughout the day. And that's a feeding on him throughout the day. You don't have to wait for three meals a day. You can feed on him constantly throughout the day. Continuing to remember that you trust in him no matter what happens. And if you want to cultivate such a faith that depends upon him through the day and grows, then it must come by hearing. Scriptures teach us that faith comes by hearing. And so if you want to grow in your understanding of Jesus, if you want to grow in your feeding on him, then you must be listening to the Spirit's voice in the Bible. That's in private reading, but also reading it with others, whether it be a Bible study or meeting up one-to-one with someone or hearing the preached word so that you feed upon him, you depend upon him more and more. And just as you schedule times to eat, breakfast, lunch and dinner, three meals a day, you never miss them, so you should schedule times of feeding upon Christ where you spend time listening to his word, speaking to him in prayer, so that your faith in him deepens and strengthens. In one sense, I wish that all of you had the privilege that I do of each week of spending so much time listening to the Father's voice, listening to Christ's voice, listening to the Spirit's voice. It is such a privilege that you pay me to be able to nourish myself on Christ so much. That's why I miss my sermon preparation when I'm on leave or somebody else is preaching on the Sunday, because that's where I actually draw great nourishment as I'm pointed to Christ and feed on him. I feel spiritually malnourished sometimes when I come back from annual leave. I'm eager to get back. Thanks to you, I eat like a king through the week. And it's such a privilege, and I am conscious of that. And then on Sunday mornings... I give you the choice cuts, so to speak, of what I've been feeding on through the week. When you come on Sunday mornings, I have made a real effort through the week to make sure that I have something to feed you so that your faith will grow and increase. And so if you miss a Sunday, you miss a meal in one sense. You miss being pointed to Jesus Christ and having your faith enlarged towards him so that you can go about your week with real energy with real strength to do the task that God has given you so do you understand what Jesus is saying here do you know what it is to feed on him to munch crunch gnaw on him and then do you do it day by day not just here this morning on Sundays, but day by day feeding on him. is part of the reason you have such a problem through the weeks, you have all kinds of problems come along, all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of worries along, is because you're not feeding on Jesus. You're not depending upon him throughout your week. And if that is the case, is that because you're not cultivating a faith in him 
by the Spirit's word, not coming to what the Spirit has revealed in the Scriptures, so that you'll feed upon Christ and so that you'll be able to serve him and worship him as you should. Let us come before our God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we must confess that we have not fed upon Christ as we ought, that our faith is often weak when it should be large, it should be strong. So, Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would enlarge our minds about the truth of Jesus Christ so that we lean on him all the more fully, that we trust in him all the more fully day by day so that we can serve him as we should. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.